Hello, my name is Eva, and today I'm starting a short series on fantastic escapes by historical people. Now, these stories won't necessarily or exclusively be about escaping a locked room and then crawling for miles through sewage, as in that great film, The Shawshank Redemption. In this series, the term escape is used in its broadest definition and may refer to escape from certain death by chance, action or individual enterprise. I shall start this series in antiquity and talk about a man who was a hero to some, infamous to others, a man whose life was lived by the sword and ultimately saved by word. According to Lucius Cassius Dio, who was an ancient Roman historian who wrote Roman history in the 200s ACE, Caratacus was the son of Cunobelinus, a king in Britain, before the Roman invasion. Cunobelinus ruled over a large portion of the southeast of England. He was known as King of Britons, and his large territories included those of the Catevoloni tribes from which he himself hailed. Caratacus, and there have been many, many ways um, offered in pronouncing his name over the centuries, but modern linguistic history points at Caratacus as more aligned with the original pronunciation rather than the classical. Caratacus. We may never actually know quite how his name was pronounced, as indeed we may never actually know when he was born, though historians calculate that it must have been around 10 ACE. According to Welsh tradition, where Caratacus features heavily, he grew up in the household of his uncle, Epitikus, who through military action, enlarged the area controlled by the Catevolani into the southwest of England. So the Catevolani originally came from the southeast, and he enlarged their area into the southwest England. And it seems that it was under his uncle's tutelage that Caratacus learned strategy and battle tactics. He would go on to make very good use, and indeed consistent use, of these skills as an adult. For upon the death of his uncle, Caratacus completed the conquest of the southwest lands that belonged to the tribe known as Atribates. This was accomplished around 40 ACE. Now, the tribe's king at the time, Verica, was deposed, and he then fled to Rome. For Verica was a client king, so to speak, of the Roman Empire. And when he, in 41 ACE, appealed to the Emperor Claudius for help in regaining his kingdom, Claudius was only too happy to oblige. Presumably, his only too happy to oblige was not out of a sense of duty to an ally, but Claudius had come to the purple, as it were, 
After the grisly murder of his predecessor, Caligula, and with his own rule still very, very shaky, a foreign war was just what Claudius needed to divert the attention of the Senate, and the army were only too happy and ready enough to endorse Verica's pleas as a right course and a justification for the invasion of Britain. And they, that is the army, wanted in no small way to attack the Catevolanic tribe, who were traditional enemies of the Romans, and who had in fact spearheaded the opposition to Caesar's attempts at invading Britain way back in 54 BCE. So, when Emperor Claudius, in the summer of 43 ACE, ordered his general Plautius to commence the invasion of Britain, Caratacus' stronghold in what is now modern-day Colchester was the focus of the first attacks. Caratacus was able to muster a force of some 40,000 men taken from various tribes allied to him. And though they were, hmm, well, somewhat successful when keeping to stealth and skirmishes, in pitched battles they were outmatched, outfought, and out-armoured, as the Britons wore no armour or headgear, and their frontal charges proved to have very little effect against the Roman army formation known as Testudo, or Tortoise formation. Two defeats at the Battle of River Medway in Kent and the Battle of the River Thames in the years 41 and 42 resulted in the loss of not only Caratacus' brother, an, an able commander in his own right, but also of important territories in the southeast England. And most importantly, it resulted in the loss of Camuludonan, the stronghold of Caratacus' tribe. By some miracle, Caratacus managed to flee the storming of Camulodunum and sought refuge in Wales, where he continued to fight the Romans. And this would, in the years to follow, lead him to becoming a great Welsh hero, both in song and in deed, and was known as a warrior of independence in that area. However, those tribes whom Caratacus had earlier conquered, they surrendered to the Romans. These tribes lived on swaths of land in the southeast and in central Britain, while Caratacus's sphere of influence centered around the west and, well, also up towards the north. But allies were in constant and forever shifting. Nonetheless, he came to be known as the leader of the resistance, and his name was whispered with equal amount of annoyance and awe in the marble halls of Rome, as well as the fortresses of Gaul. And Caratacus fought and fought and fought, and did so for nine years until 50 ACE. 
By this time, General Plautius had retired and been replaced as governor and general of Britain by Publius Scapula, a man who preferred swords to words, possibly because he was a far better military man than diplomat. Scapula issued thinly veiled threats to all resisting tribes as soon as he was appointed governor, and this made it easier for Caratacus to gain the support of the Welsh tribes of whom Scapula was especially scathing, threatening them with extermination if they did not comply and surrender. Caratacus and his allies managed to win smaller skirmishes, or at least fight the Romans to a standstill through the first half of the year of 50 ACE. But by the autumn of that same year, Caratacus decided on a pitched battle. The actual battlefield is unknown and it is only recounted in vague terms by another Roman historian, Tacitus, as being in the land of the Ordovices, a tribe who lived in north and central Wales. Caratacus was supposed to have chosen two hills as field of battle, hills with rocky slopes and with a river marking the outer defences of his own forces. According to Tacitus, while Caratacus gave rousing speeches to his men, Scapula, the Roman governor, considered not fighting as he intensely disliked the terrain of stones and rocks and the river that was in fact only swimmable in certain areas. However, Tacitus wrote, the Roman legions who had fought Caratacus for nearly a decade, they wished to join battle and destroy their enemy. So it was the legions who first walked, then swam across the river in full Roman body armor that weighed around 45 pounds, around 20 kilos. And then, upon crossing the river, they formed the Testudo formation, and in this formation, slowly but surely made their way up the rocky hillside. It was said that this bravery astounded Scapula, who was no coward himself, and he too swam across and climbed the hills, and from there engaged Caratacus and his allies. In this pitched battle, as in all previous pitched battles, the Britons, however brave, however resolved, were no match for the Romans. The Romans quickly outflanked them, encircled them, and, well, basically annihilated them. Caratacus' wife, daughter, and his remaining brother were captured. But again, by pure chance, Caratacus escaped and was smuggled out of Roman invaded territory on the strength of his hero status amongst the Welsh. The Romans were enraged, but he was gone. Caratacus fled north, for he had had allies there in the past, and he landed at the court of Catimandua the Queen of the Brigantes, a tribe who lived in modern-day Yorkshire and Durham on the 
northeastern part of England. It is very difficult to know why Karatakis sought refuge with Katimandua, for she had been a loyal ally of the Romans ever since their invasion in 43. He might have thought to appeal to her as a fellow Briton, but it could be that he was unaware of just how much Katimandua was dependent on Roman military might or the threat of it to keep herself on the throne. She fought her husband for power, she fought neighboring tribes for power, as well as those tribes who wanted to convert her loyalty to Rome to their cause against Rome. So, a desperate Caritacus knocking on her door put her in a precarious position. Ultimately, Catimandua is said to have invited Caritacus to dine with her, then drugged him and put him in chains. A message was dispatched to the Romans, who showed up, not one man, not two, but a legion, to take into their possession their greatest of prizes. According to some stories, Caratacus begged to be allowed to fight to the death, but the Romans were having none of that, and without hope of escape, Caratacus was put on a ship to Rome, and there, in early 51 ACE, he was paraded in the triumph celebrating Claudius' victory in Britain. Just to insert, triumphs were a triumphal parade through the streets of Rome that in the Roman Republic were in honor of a triumphant general, but during the Roman Empire, the empress took all the glory for themselves. So the triumph was in honor of Claudius, not of Scapula. Now, the tradition was that a defeated enemy was paraded alongside his family, and this happened here, and as they passed the throngs of Roman citizens, they were insulted and booed, and that surely also happened here. Then, at the end of the triumph, the defeated enemy would be strangled ceremonially. Whatever ceremonially actually means in these circumstances, as it still entails a very painful death. This final act usually took place in the Temple of Jupiter as part of a victory offering to the god. That was the fate of Vesingetorix, the leader of the Gauls whom Caesar defeated all those years ago. And this was what awaited Caratacus. But before being hauled off to the temple, he was, for some reason, allowed to give a speech in front of Claudius. This speech was witnessed by many, was written down by some, and saved for posterity. Having refused to bow, but still in chains, Caratacus started his speech thus. If the degree of my nobility and fortune had been matched by moderation in success, I should have come to this city as a friend rather than a captive. So basically, he claimed, that it was not Roman superiority that led to their victory, but his own ill fortune. 
he ended the speech by declaring, If I were now being handed over as one who had surrendered immediately, neither my fortune nor your glory would have achieved brilliance. It is also true that in my case, any reprisal will be followed by oblivion. On the other hand, if you preserve me safe and sound, I shall be an eternal example of your clemency. Following this speech, Caratacus was not only pardoned, but so were his family, and he was given a comfortable villa in Rome in which he lived out his life, and as the story goes, died peacefully of old age in his bed. This story was told and retold in the annals of Roman history because it is such an astounding tale. He had been about to be dragged away to be strangled, and the emperor, probably just out of sheer curiosity, allowed this once feared enemy to speak. And some say, Claudius allowed it only for a cheap laugh because the Romans expected their enemy to speak in a native tongue they then could make fun of. But, it is said, they were all surprised when he spoke in Latin and spoke well enough to be understood. In any case, I find this to be an incredible story for the Romans were, as a rule, not that compassionate when it came to their enemies. And anyway, what about the offering to Jupiter? What would the Senate say? What if Caratacus's good health and life promoted further resistance in Britain when it was made known that he was still alive? But, all these questions aside, according to contemporary historians, Caratacus was viewed as an honest enemy, and since he disappeared from the sources shortly after the mention of him living quietly in a comfortable villa, well, we can only assume that that is indeed what he did, lived quietly amongst his once fiercest enemies. What a life-saving speech he made on the threshold of death. While he was remembered in Roman history as a great curiosity, he lived on for centuries in Welsh stories where he was often recounted as a Welshman and several Welsh heroes known as Caradoc may in fact be a retelling of Caratacus, a great adversary of Rome. Next time, I shall go further back in history to a story of a Greek commander of uncertain loyalties and great escapes. Until then, I have been Eva, and thank you so much for listening. Oh, and leave a like if you enjoyed this episode.